Again, it's great to be here with you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, uh, which is probably most of you, this is my first time preaching here. And uh, my name is Oliver Pierce. I moved here a little bit over a year ago last summer uh, to continue the work of Reform University Fellowship at Wofford College. And I, I understand you guys just had an RUF uh, campus minister here last week, and. So I know many of you may be aware that RUF is the PCA's uh, denominational campus ministry, and that's one of the things I love about it, that we're not only on campus reaching students for Christ and then just kind of leaving them there to figure out the rest of their Christian life on their own, but our ultimate goal is to equip students to serve for a lifetime in the church, to see that the very first thing they're looking for when they graduate and go look for a job or go on to grad school is how, how am I going to be involved in the local church? I pray maybe even many might stay here, and some of you might see some of those students from Wofford here at Roebuck. Uh, but I just wanted to uh, give you a little brief snapshot of some things that are going on, largely because I'd love for you to pray for us. Um, I, the more I do this work of ministry on campuses, the more I am just convinced of how essential prayer is. And I've actually give a little bit more background on myself. This is my now sixth year in RUF. I started an RUF work up in Western Pennsylvania after graduating from Western or from Westminster Theological Seminary uh, in Philadelphia. And originally, I'm from Knoxville. My wife is also there. I have two, uh, two daughters, Amelia and Julia, uh, and they are worshiping, worshiping right now with Grace Prez. Um, but you can be praying for them. But what I've discovered about Wofford is, you know, even though I've, I've come back from Pennsylvania, I'm in the Bible Belt, it is still such a deep place in need of the gospel, maybe even more so because so many students have been exposed to enough of Christianity to almost be inoculated by it, not infected with it, for lack of a better term. It, whether it's in their relationships or their intellectual life or just their career ambitions, so much of the environment of Wofford is saying, yeah, Christianity, that's fine, but just don't get too serious about that. Put it on the shelf, but don't let it be the center of your life. And we're really trying with RUF to call students to see that the only way you're going to really find joy and life and peace is by putting Jesus back in the center. Uh, and one of the most encouraging things, I was just telling Wade this, that's happening this semester is a, a student that I met at the end of the spring semester this year uh, who was in a fraternity and was caught up in much of the, the things that you hear about fraternities that are, are not great or really dark things going on there. Um, he really went through a spiritual renewal this summer. He ended up working with a Christian and started diving into the scriptures again because of these conversations he was having with his co-worker. And he has now showed up this semester. I'm meeting up with him every single week. He's been inviting his fraternity brothers to our large group meetings. We had about six of his brothers came, and I remember talking to them, and we're like, we don't know what's going on with Preston. He, he just totally changed over the summer, and I want to tell them, that's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that's God working in him. Uh, so pray for him. He's also, actually this afternoon, he's leading a, a Bible study uh, on, with some of these guys in his fraternity, and I'm really trying to pour into him, mentor into him, uh, it, so that God might work p- 
powerfully through him to reach other students. So please, as you think about us, pray for Preston. If you'd like to know more about RUF at Wofford, if you'd like, we have an email and print updates that we sent out. If you'd like to be on that, please come up to me earlier or after the service. I've got a sheet you can sign up for on that. I'd love to have you praying for us. But this morning, uh, we're going to turn to the preaching of the word. We're going to be looking at Psalm 67. And it's a psalm that I've come back to repeatedly uh, as I'm seeking to be a missionary on campus. It's really challenged and encouraged me. And I hope it will do the same for you in the different spheres that God has placed you, whether that is your family or your neighborhood or your work. I think it has really beautiful things to say to us and shows us the beauty of Christ's work as well in our lives. So Psalm 67, I'll read that and pray for us. Psalm 67. To the choir master with stringed instruments, A psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your saving way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing For joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Join me as we pray for the preaching of the word. Our Father in heaven, We thank you for this day of rest. I know many of us come to you in all kinds of places, tired, worn out. We pray that wherever we're at, that you might meet us in your word, that you might encourage and comfort us and also challenge us in the ways we need to be challenged. We ask that you might illuminate our minds and open our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that you might help us to really pay attention to your word, to receive all that you have there for us, so that it might bear fruit in our lives and help us most of all to see more of the beauty and the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're a human being here this morning, I can venture to guess you've had some version of this experience. You come across something, maybe it's a musician, maybe it's a book you've read, a new place, a new hiking, fishing spot you've found, a restaurant, even even something as simple as some video online. Whatever it is, this thing, it's so interesting, it's so beautiful, it's so compelling, so funny that you you have to talk to other people about it. And maybe it's not a thing, but even a person that you met that you can't stop bringing up to other people. Many years ago, I was on a hike 
in the Nashville area. And as I turned the corner, I saw one of the front, the front man of one of my favorite bands, the band Wilco, Jeff Tweedy from that band, just walking along the path. And it was just completely surreal for me. I mean, this is the last person I'm expecting to see on my hike. And I, I felt bad about bothering him, but this was a once-in-a-lifetime chance, so I had to say something. And he was a little annoyed that even on his hike, he couldn't escape his fans, but he kindly chatted with me for a little bit and even let me take a selfie with him, which I had to do because I was immediately going to go home and tell all my roommates that I had met Jeff Tweedy. And that's exactly what I did. I didn't care whether they liked the band Wilco or not, or even knew who Jeff Tweedy was. I had to tell all of them. There was something about being face-to-face with this person that I really respected and loved the work, the music they had produced, that just I had to share it with everyone. We can't help but share about the things or the people that really excite us. When our hearts are thrilled with something, we don't keep it to ourselves. It inevitably overflows into the lives of those around us one way or another. And that's exactly what we see in this psalm. The psalmist has experienced something that he is too thrilled to keep to himself. And so as we consider Psalm 67 this morning... I think we'll see that this overflowing blessing the psalmist has received is for us too, and it can have the same effect of overflowing into the lives of those around us as well. And we're going to look at this in three movements. One, just considering the blessing itself. Second, why it's an overflowing blessing. And then lastly, to what extent does it overflow? And so first, let's consider what is this blessing? We'll look back at verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That short verse followed by Selah, uh, which was most likely a deliberate, either musical or just silent pause there. I I think it is as if there were so much packed into that verse the psalmist just had to stop there mid-sentence to encourage those praying or singing this psalm to reflect over what they had just sung. As he wrote this verse, he was likely reflecting on a passage that would have been very familiar to the average Israelite. Numbers 6, the Aaronic blessing, where the Lord tells Moses, he sets this tradition, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. As an Israelite, the psalmist would have heard this again and again being proclaimed over God's people. He would have marinated in it. And it seems that as he marinated that, this promise has become his own prayer. It's become this living and active thing. 
the excitement over what that is saying has overflowed into this song of praise. But what is the blessing? Is the psalmist thinking? Number six is telling me, if I'm in a relationship with God, he's going to give me a big, beautiful, renovated house, a job that I love and also pays really well, plenty of friends, a great, safe neighborhood, healthy kids, perfect marriage. Those are blessings from God uh, that many of us have experienced, and we should thank God for those things. But that isn't the central thing the psalmist is so excited about here. The blessing number six is promising God's people, is the grace of God's personal presence. That is the reality that the psalmist is getting so excited about. God with us, Emmanuel, the shining light of God's face. The psalmist doesn't just want God's gifts, he wants God himself. And so this psalm is asking us this morning, what blessing do we want? What are we seeking after this morning or perhaps in the middle of the week? Is it some of those things that I mentioned? A growing investment portfolio, our children's happiness and success, some new tech or, or new renovation on the house or the next career promotion or more vacation time. I think if we're honest, that is what we're thinking about much of the day in, day out. It's just revealed by how how much of our time and our resources we give to those things. We think they are the blessing that we really need. But do they deliver? I'll be so bold to answer that for you by merely pointing out that our quest for these things never ends. I know personally in my life, I get one of those things that I think will finally make me satisfied. Finally, get married to my wife, Kim. We finally, we have our first child. Finally, get that job that I've imagined is exactly what I want to do. I finally get a new guitar. One by one, I get those things and I'm quickly moving on to the next thing. I don't, I don't think I'm the only one who experiences that. The reality, though, is the greatest, the most fundamental, the most lasting, the most satisfying blessing we could ever receive is God's personal presence in our lives. To know him through his means of grace and communion with his people, what we're receiving this morning, that is what the psalmist is getting so excited about. So, The psalmist, he's fixed on this blessing of God's presence for himself and his people. And in some ways, that could be the end of the story. This is what we really need. Once he gets that, he can just rest. He can go off and maybe be a monk in the wilderness. But we're only on verse 1. The psalm is clearly telling us this is only the beginning. After that reflective mid-sentence pause, the psalmist continues his thought. But he heads in a new direction. Look there, back at verse 2. He wants this blessing that 
Your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. It was as if, as he was marinating in that blessing, letting it soak into him and change who he was, he had this epiphany. This can't end with us. This is such a big deal. It's so massive. How can this stay in the walls of Jerusalem? It needs to be known in all the earth, among all the nations. And maybe he also had this realization as he was meditating on another familiar passage the Israelites would have known from Genesis 12 where the Lord appears to Abram, and he says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. That blessing that Aaron and the priests that followed him spoke again and again over Israel was never meant to stop with them. It was the opening of this great fountain that would overflow to the ends of the earth. Back, back when I was in Pennsylvania doing RUF there, I went, went on a hike to check out a spot called Robinson Falls that I thought would be great to do a little RUF outing to. And I went there uh, with another student, and after we made a decent trek up the mountain, we found the falls and some of the locals there uh, trained us and showed us, hey, here's the safe places to jump from the falls into this deep pocket of water below. And when I finally got the guts up to make that jump, I remember as I hit that water, being struck with just how crisp and refreshing it was. I felt like I had taken a shower after getting out of it. I immediately got, I got back up and talked to the locals about that. And they said, yeah, this, this is fresh flowing mountain water. It is so pure. You could drink it and you'd be fine. Now, there was another body of water that was further down from that stream. It was probably where it flowed into called Yellow Creek or Crick, as they could say in western Pennsylvania. And, you know, a lot of people would fish there. They'd ride around in their boats few would dare to swim in it, but no one ever was going to drink from it. It it was stagnant, sitting there. There were large bodies of algae floating around. It was gross. You were not going to feel cleaner after getting in it. This is the difference between the blessing of God channeling through us And us just trying to stockpile that blessing for ourselves. The moment the blessing stops going outward, it begins to rot. It wasn't designed to do that. The overflowing blessing of knowing God through Jesus Christ is meant to be the stream of water, constantly fresh because it's constantly flowing out to others. There was this academic study done a while ago, and they looked at these trends with families that were pretty well-to-do, 
uh, white-collar professionals, and they looked at them over a 20-year period, and they saw a very strange thing, that there were escalating problems with mental health, and even teen suicides in the group had increased. And they wrote this as the conclusion from their study. Complete financial security, excessive freedom to learn and explore, provision of very wide opportunities for entertainment, recreation, and education, good things, have been discovered to lead to apathy, laziness, inability to commit to goals, attitudes of entitlement, indecisiveness, moodiness, irritability without provocation, low self-confidence, and insecurity. Go back to the beginning of the list. Those are all the things that I want for my kids. They sound great. What what happened? Even with financial blessing, earthly blessing, if we turn inward and only focus on just building up our most intimate circle, those waters of blessing will become cursed. The same is true for the church. The objective of withholding the blessing, keeping it in here for ourselves, it's going to end up backfiring. And this dynamic is ultimately the case because it's rooted in the very nature of God himself. I love what the Puritan Richard Sibbs says, communicating this. He writes, The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were happy in themselves and enjoyed one another before the world was, but that God delights to communicate and spread his goodness, there would never have been a creation nor a redemption. You hear what that's saying? Everything we we just praise God for, the beauty of his creation, the grace of his redemption, are because God is an overflowing God. We live in this beautiful world and we're redeemed by a beautiful Savior, not because there's something so great or lovely in us that compelled God to do that. He creates and he redeems because it's in his nature not to keep his blessedness to himself. The source of all that is true and beautiful and good, the triune God of the Bible, is an overflowing stream. He's not this stagnant pond up on a mountain that's waiting for us to come to him. He's flowing out towards us. And so when we think about evangelism and and the call to, to reach out to the world around us, it's a call really to just imitate the God we worship. We're made in his image. We're designed to do this. As I said earlier, when we started out, when we delight in something, we want to share it with others. We're all already good at evangelism. It's just whatever we're worshiping at the moment. Maybe it's a new band, it's a TV show, it's a restaurant, it's the football game or play you saw this weekend. I'm still not sure who I should be cheering for in the upstate if you want to give me some feedback on that afterwards? My allegiances haven't sunk in yet. Maybe it's the, the fish that we caught or some amazing 
thing our kids or our grandkids did, and we got to share that video with people. And yet, when we think about talking to others about Jesus, many times it can feel weird and awkward and forced. And maybe some of us need to grow in our ability to communicate and to ask good questions, to be curious, to start spiritual conversations with people that will lead to opportunities to share for the reason for the hope within us. But I know for me personally, the most fundamental issue is when I stray away from delighting in God and resting in his personal presence as the most fundamental thing I need. When we're not thrilled with Jesus personally, it it is going to be weird talking to those around us about him. I mean, to put it really crassly, how can we sell a product that we aren't buying? You know, that, that new Christian that I, I mentioned, uh, the student from the fraternity, I haven't told him to invite any of his friends to anything. Uh, nobody is guilting him into anything. He has freshly experienced Jesus in the gospel And so he doesn't care if his fraternity brothers think he's weird. He's like, there's something here in the preaching of God's word, in the reading of God's word, in the community of God's people that is so valuable, I have to tell you about it. And so if we don't feel that way, the first thing we need to do is to go back to the Lord. Go back to our first love. And the good news is you're already doing that this morning as you come here to worship him and to seek his face with his people. So this blessing of God's presence, it should flow out to those around us. Uh, But there's one more thing the psalmist wants us to see about this blessing. The, the, The extent of it how it is an earthly blessing that even renews creation itself. Look again at the closing words there, verses 6 through 7. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. I'm going to have to backtrack and qualify my earlier point a bit here. It's true, the psalmist is not primarily seeking God's gifts, but God himself. But God's blessing is connected to material blessing. Perhaps that's why it's so easy to mistake God's gifts for him. Another way you could translate that somewhat strange phrase, the earth has yielded its increase, is the earth has produced its harvest. The the psalmist is giving us this picture that God's blessing is not just this abstract, abstract, spiritual, unseeable thing. When God shows up in our lives, he doesn't come empty-handed. He shows up at the door with a bouquet of flowers and, and a lavish meal that he's prepared. His presence makes the world fruitful. It brings a harvest. We get a really vivid vision of this in Psalm 65, just a few pages back. 
the psalmist there sings about God. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. When God is present, there's this beautiful, bountiful harvest. Creation is just shining. And the significant of this for us is that as God's overflowing blessing flows through our lives, it's not only about sharing the good news of the gospel, but this blessing also overflows through the fruitfulness and the beauty of the earth, and when we take part in cultivating that and serving others through that. I mean, think about it. When the earth is yielding its harvest, God's not out there physically picking the grain. People are. God's blessing of the harvest comes to the world through the hands of ordinary people like you and me in ordinary ways that maybe we don't even see as ministry. And again, I want to stress this because I think it can be easy for us to think that God's presence is almost kind of imaginary, so non-concrete. But the Bible's picture isn't that. It's things become more real. I love how C.S. Lewis drives this home in his book, The Great Divorce, where there's a tour of heaven and a hell, and at one point, he's describing the, the main character, the narrator, is in heaven, and he describes it this way. It was the light, the grass, the trees that were different, made of some different substance, so much more solid than the things in our country, that men were ghosts by comparison. Moved by a sudden thought, I bent down, and tried to pluck a daisy which was growing at my feet. The stalk wouldn't break. I tried to twist it, but it wouldn't twist. I tugged till the sweat stood out on my forehead, and I lost most of the skin off my hands. The little flower was hard, not like wood or even like iron, but like diamond. The fullness of God's presence in the new heavens and new earth that we are headed towards makes everything more real, more beautiful, more permanent than we could ever know. God's saving power doesn't make the world disappear. It restores, enhances, it establishes it. And so a bountiful harvest is the perfect picture for this overflowing blessing of God going to the nations. One of my favorite aspects about what we do at Wofford is hospitality. We don't just show up to campus and and set up a soapbox and just start preaching the gospel. We welcome students with an ice cream social and a barbecue. We host dinners at our house for students. When I have our ministry team over every week, I don't just go buy the cheapest snacks possible. Kim and I, we really love to cook. And so we make our own desserts from scratch, not only because we want to, but because we want them to really be blessed by something tangible. 
on a much deeper level, um, we're doing this because God himself shows up this way in our lives. And if there's any doubt of this, if you're wondering, is this really true? All we need to do is look at the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. When God wants to overflow to the nations in the most vivid, profound way possible, he sends his son to preach, repent, and believe, to to reveal the kingdom of God, but in that to heal the sick and to feed thousands. What was Jesus' first miracle? Turning gallons and gallons of water into wine, and not just like cheap box wine, but like the best wine possible. I'm sure you could have sold it for thousands and thousands of dollars. Jesus had quite the hospitality ministry. And so Jesus is the answer to this psalmist's longing. He brings God's presence and restores and establishes the earth and brings a harvest. And that's what's promised in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 61, about the Messiah, where we read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And if you skip ahead a bit, as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up among all the nations. This is exactly what we see fulfilled in the New Testament, in Jesus Christ. We see God pouring out the blessing of his personal presence in all its fullness on Jesus Christ and it flowing through him to God's people into all the ends of the earth. He will cause the earth to yield its increase, but not just a temporary earthly harvest but an eternal one through his resurrection from the dead. A harvest that is springing up not only from the ground, but from the hearts of men and women. Righteousness and praise sprouting up before all nations through Jesus. That's the picture we see painted at the end of the Bible in Revelation. But in order for that to happen, the Father had to turn his face away from the Son. What are we seeing on the cross? We are seeing Jesus not knowing the blessing of God's presence. He's receiving the answer we should receive when we ask for God's blessing in our lives. No, you're not worthy of my presence. You are a sinner. I cannot dwell with you. You cannot have this most fundamental thing you need. He was rejected so that we could pray with the psalmist confidently, God will bless us. Overflowing curse was poured out on Jesus on the cross so that overflowing blessing might be poured out on us in him. That's what Jesus was talking about in the Gospel of John when he says, anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
Psalm 67 is giving us the same invitation to receive this blessing of knowing God through Jesus and become part of that overflowing blessing going out to the nations, to the ends of the earth. Let me close us in prayer. Father, we confess uh, we are often seeking so many other blessings outside of knowing you. We think our fundamental need is our finances, our family, our career. And no wonder often we find our hearts are, are apathetic and we don't have life. Draw us back to you. Give us your spirit of prayer that we might seek your face and hunger for your word. And we pray you would grant that, that you would shine your face on us, that we might freshly know your presence in our lives. And through that, that your saving power might be known to our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and the whole world. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on that day when you will come and your presence, the light of your face, will restore all things, will make them more real and lasting than we could ever imagine. We thank you that because of Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf, we can know these things will happen. They are true. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our hymn, a response. Be Thou My Vision. We actually sang this as our response at large group this week. It's great to sing it again. Hymn 642.